Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup, the most commonly used weed killer in the world. This chemical shows up in our food, water, even in the air we breathe and the rain that falls from the sky. Emerging research shows exposure to this chemical may be linked to food intolerance, autoimmune disease, neurological dysfunction, hormone imbalances, and cancer. Joining us today is Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Her latest book, Toxic Legacy, shares what we need to know about this chemical and some of the proactive steps we can take to detoxify our body from this poison. If you're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, glyphosate could be to blame. Don't go anywhere. This life-changing interview starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She has a bachelor's degree in biology with a minor in food and nutrition and a master's degree in engineer's degree and a PhD in electrical engineering and computer science. She's authored over three dozen peer-reviewed journal papers on topics relating to human disease, nutritional deficiencies, and toxic exposures. She has focused specifically on the herbicide, glyphosate, and the mineral sulfur. Her latest book is called Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. As I shared, you know, when we chatted before, I'm really passionate about this topic. I really think that more people need to be aware of it. For those not familiar with glyphosate, share first, what is this chemical and why is it such a health concern? Yeah, so glyphosate is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide Roundup, and most people know about Roundup. Many people go down to the garden shop and buy it to kill the dandelions in their yard or the weeds growing in their walkway. A very, very popular chemical, the most used herbicide on the planet, and the United States uses more per person than any other country in the world. So the United States gets especially hit hard by glyphosate. It's been showing up in all kinds of different foods. The government doesn't bother to test for it because they consider it to be perfectly safe. So we're in a really bad situation where people are using it carelessly on their lawns. Their kids could be playing. They don't realize it's it's toxic. And, of course, getting exposure through the food supply, also through the air and through the water supply. So it's in the rain. It's just basically everywhere. You can't avoid it. But there are steps you can take to reduce your burden of glyphosate exposure, of course, by, for example, eating certified organic food. Yeah. Um, you know, more than ever in history, I mentioned in the beginning some of these diseases, but autoimmune disease and food intolerances, I mean, it's at an all-time high. Share with us how glyphosate exposure might be to blame. Yeah, it's very clear, for example, with celiac disease, and I'm surprised people don't immediately get it when they when they realize that glyphosate, the wheat, is sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest as a desiccant. So wheat is not a GMO crop. So when you see non-GMO, watch out. It's not necessarily. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have glyphosate in it. In fact, some of the highest levels are found in these non-GMO crops that are sprayed right before harvest, and, and wheat is one of them. So the glyphosate is showing up in the wheat-based products, and uh, so it it's in the wheat, and when you eat the wheat that's exposed to to glyphosate, your gut microbes get messed up by it. And in particular, lactobacillus is a um, 
has several enzymes that help you break down wheat. Your, your body doesn't have these enzymes. It relies on the enzymes produced by the bacteria to help to break down gluten in wheat because gluten has a lot of a protein of an amino acid called proline that's very difficult to break apart. So those lactobacillus get killed by glyphosate. It's been shown in studies. They're very sensitive to glyphosate. When they get killed, then they can't do their job of helping to metabolize the wheat. So the gluten goes through your digestive system undigested. The gluten's you know, long gluten sequences uh, end up irritating the gut and causing leaky gut and then causing these these proteins to get out into circulation. The immune system responds and you get celiac disease. So I think that's very, very clear. That's just one example. But many different other food proteins are not being properly digested and that's causing all kinds of other autoimmune diseases. And then, um, and so I think glyphosate, it, it's correlated, you know, with the rise in all of these different problems that we're seeing uh, with um, with autoimmune sensitivities. Yeah, and also, you know, as you mentioned, research shows majority of our immune system comes from the gut. I'm curious, does exposure to glyphosate, you know, and it harms the immune system, but does that make it more difficult to prevent and rebound from COVID-19 infection? That's a great question, and I've been talking about that a lot, actually. I've done many podcasts on that topic. I absolutely think that glyphosate is a major player in COVID-19, and I've been looking at data around the world. It's quite fascinating because the countries that are having the worst trouble with COVID, unable to contain COVID, are the same countries that use a lot of glyphosate. And the United States is, of course, a very good example. We have 4% of the world's population. We use 19% of the world's glyphosate, and we have 16% of the world's deaths from COVID. So that's a pretty good correlation right there. I think we are more sensitive to COVID and we spread it more easily because our immune system is being wrecked by glyphosate. And I actually have a whole chapter in my book specifically on the immune system and how glyphosate disrupts it. It's quite fascinating science. Yeah, that makes sense. I've also read that there's a correlation possibly with the obesity epidemic and glyphosate. Share with us how being exposed to this chemical, how does it affect our weight? Yes, that's also a very interesting topic. And in fact, you know, Anthony Samsel tested various, uh, he ordered from a lab, he ordered various digestive enzymes that people are taking, you know, people are taking these um, enzymes that help them digest their food because those, I think because they're being disrupted in the gut. And uh, so the uh, lipase is an enzyme that metabolizes fats. And I think it's being uh, disrupted by glyphosate. Also, glyphosate is disrupting the flow of bile acids, and that's that's been shown in studies. And and it's a a consequence of glyphosate's suppression of enzymes in the liver that are needed to make the bile acids, and also probably uh, causing paralysis of the um, of the gallbladder, so that the bile acids can't be released. They can't be easily made. They can't be released. You don't have enough. Bile acids are critical for digesting fats. So the fats don't get digested, and then instead they get stuffed into fat cells that build around the abdomen. And you get this, you know, you get the characteristic gut (laughs) and the problem of accumulating fats around your gut because of the disruption of the metabolism. Anthony found glyphosate in lipase that he ordered from a chemistry lab. It was derived from pigs and also in uh, in digestive enzymes like trypsin and pepsin that digest proteins. He found glyphosate in all of them. So they're showing up as it, glyphosate is, get, is messing up those enzymes, I believe. Wow. Hey, what percentage, I've heard different, different uh, numbers, uh, the general population in America, what percentage of us have traces of glyphosate in our blood? Oh, I think a very large percentage. I mean, it hasn't been studied extensively, right, but there have been studies. For example... Uh, there was a study on pregnant women that very recently published that was quite interesting, and it showed that the, a, a correlation between um, – it measured glyphosate in the urine while they were pregnant, 
And then they looked at a metric in the girl babies that has to do with uh, an indicator of excess exposure to testosterone. And they found a, a statistically significant correlation between more glyphosate in the urine and uh, this testosterone exposure mar- metric. And that is interesting because glyphosate disrupts the enzyme that converts uh, t- testosterone into estrogen. And I think that's a, co- a reason why glyphosate causes autism as well, because um, excess testosterone in the brain is, during development is also linked to autism in the boys. So it's a different effect on the girls and the boys, but this indicator that you see in the girl babies is also an indicator of a very strong risk for polycystic ovary syndrome which is a a condition that's very common right now in women and is associated both with a risk for autism and with a risk for infertility. It's one of the most, it is the most important factor in female infertility. So all of that is pointing to glyphosate disrupting the reproductive system, glyphosate causing autism, and uh, connected to glyphosate in the urine that was actually measured. Another study found glyphosate in the urine associated with um, fatty liver disease. They found... um, they looked at people who didn't have fatty liver disease, people had a mild case, and people had a severe case, three different groups. And they found statistically significant differences in the amount of glyphosate in the urine among the three groups. So the most glyphosate was in the urine of the most severe fatty liver disease. And I talk in my book, I have a section, a chapter on the liver, where I describe how glyphosate could be causing fatty liver disease. Wow. I know we talked about rain. There was a study, I believe it was the Journal of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry, that found glyphosate in about 75% of air and rain samples tested. How does this chemical end up in the rain? That's a very interesting question, and that's one that I'm curious about myself, and I think it might <laughs> have to do with, well, of course, it's, it can get uh, evaporated from when they apply it to the fields. They're often spraying it from the airplane, so it can certainly end up in the air and then getting uh, trapped into the rain and brought down when the rain comes down. It's very interesting to me, this idea of glyphosate in the air as a consequence of biofuels. And this is another thing I've talked about with respect to COVID-19, because I think these cities like New York City and Wuhan, the original one, and in uh, Lombardy region of of, um, Italy, those were places where the uh, COVID-19 hit hard very early on. Those are all places that have problems with air pollution, but they're also places where they they are using uh, fuels that are uh, biofuels that are derived from uh, glyphosate-exposed crops. So I, w- I became really, really interested in this concept that glyphosate in the air in the city could be a causal factor in uh, COVID um, I- infections that are spreading rapidly because the glyphosate in the air is particularly damaging to the immune system in the lungs, and that prevents the lungs from controlling the virus. This is a theory that I have, and I've been talking about it in podcasts. It's quite interesting. And I found a study from Brazil that showed, they they looked at uh, regions where glyphosate was being sprayed on the crops, and then they looked at the nearby city, and they measured glyphosate in nanoparticles in the air, and they found it in both places. They found almost as much in the city as they found in the areas where they were applying it to the crops. So the glyphosate is getting into the air, not just where the crops are, but also elsewhere. And that could be through the the burning of biofuels that glyphosate would evaporate before it reaches combustion. This is what I think, things like bioethanol and biodiesel and even biohome heating oil. There's all these versions of biofuels that are coming out. Very rapid development of the biofuel industry in the last couple of years. Wow. Yeah, one of the big excuses, though, for why glyphosate is not a health concern is there's just a minuscule amount in the water and food supply, nothing to worry about. Share with us your opinion on the so-called acceptable amount of this toxic chemical. 
I hate right, there should be no acceptable it. should be no acceptable amount to, to a toxic chemical, but there is. Tell us tell us why. I know that's quite interesting actually because when Monsanto did their studies and this is an old chemical it was first put on the market in 1974 and uh, the studies that Monsanto did in order to gain EPA approval uh, they they decided that they didn't have to look at low-dose exposures because if you didn't see toxicity at higher doses, you didn't need to do the studies at low doses. I suspect they had done a low-dose study and found problems and thought, we got to get rid of this. They also said if you don't see anything after three months, no worries, you don't have to look any longer than three months. So glyphosate has two problems. One is that it's more toxic at low levels than it is at higher levels. That's called That's a classic feature of an endocrine disruptor. And glyphosate is clearly an endocrine disruptor. So it's more toxic at low levels. And also, it's, it's a slow kill. So there was a study done by Seralini and his team. I think it was published originally in 2012. That was right when I started to look, look at glyphosate. I, that was one of the first studies that I read. It was really fascinating because he looked at, at um, rats that were exposed to low doses of glyphosate over their entire lifespan. And he found that after three months, he couldn't tell the difference. There was no obvious damage to the exposed group compared to the control. But by the end of the experiments, the females had massive mammary tumors. The males had damage to their kidneys and their, and their liver. And both uh, genders had issues with reproduction, reproductive uh, problems, and early death. So all of this showed up, but it took a long time. That's really a tricky thing about glyphosate. So they managed to sort of jump through hoops and get through the studies and get it approved by not doing the studies that would have revealed its, its damaging effects. Yeah, and, I, and there's no doubt now it's, it does have damaging effect. I mean, there's been lawsuits that, that have been lost. But my question to you is, I use a homemade non-toxic herbicide in my garden that works just great. With so many diseases associated with this exposure to glyphosate, why isn't there a safer version of Roundup? Wouldn't it sell? I know. Well, actually, you know, there's some good news uh, because uh, Bayer has announced that, I don't know if you've heard this, but Bayer has announced they're going to stop selling uh, Roundup-containing glyphosate by 2024, I believe it is. It might be 2023. I always get mixed up a little on the numbers there, but soon um, they're going to uh, stop selling um, Roundup-containing glyphosate to the American public for the, res for the residential use. They're still going to sell it to the farmers. They're still going to spray it on the crops. But they're not, and the reason was because most of the lawsuits are coming out of these personal experiences because the farmers, they're exposed to so many things that they can always point the finger at something else. So it's very hard for them to win a case. You know, they could be dying of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but they were exposed to enough other chemicals that they can't show that glyphosate definitively was the one that caused it. But many of these complaints, we have thousands, tens of thousands of lawsuits going on right now with uh, accusing uh glyphosate of causing non-Hodgkin's non lymphoma. It was just wonderful to watch those first three trials. I was so excited. I remember very clearly the moment when I heard that that first trial he had won a huge amount of money. You know, Dwayne Johnson, it was just such a miracle. You probably know about that, but this is the Non-Hodgkin's Lymphoma Association with glyphosate. That was a breakthrough legal case because it really opened the, uh, the door to many, many other lawsuits. I'm hoping we'll get somebody able to prove that glyphosate caused their child's autism. And there are also people who are working on glyphosate causing neurological damage, you know, uh, neuropathy. There's a lot of evidence that glyphosate causes neuropathy. And so if we can just get enough evidence, and this is the thing, the research literature doesn't get published because there's lots of um, ways that industry suppresses publication. 
Um, so it's very difficult. And of course, for a long time, people weren't bothering to study glyphosate because they kind of thought they were wasting their money. If it turned out this chemical is so safe, why bother? Now they're realizing it's not that safe. And there's all kinds of studies coming out in the last few years. I'm very encouraged. The research literature is really, you know, they're popping up like dandelions, these studies that show low-dose glyphosate causing endocrine-disrupting effects. It's quite exciting. Yeah, I know it's been well documented that moderate red wine consumption is heart healthy and may even help prevent cancer, but I read a study that found 100% of California red wine tested contains glyphosate. Doesn't that cancel out the health benefits of red wine? I expect it does. And in fact, I'm really quite, I, I like red wine myself and I drink it quite a bit, but we always buy organic, certified organic, which right. is not to say it isn't contaminated with glyphosate because they found it. This was in Honeycutt who tested a lot of California wines and found it in all of them, but they found much lower levels in the biodynamic ones. So we we drink uh, certified organic red wine. And I believe it's a very healthy thing to um to take in moderation. Yeah. So my, 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 theory, my theory is this. So my parents went to Italy. They drank wine like crazy, ate cheese-fattening food. They come back and they lost weight, and they drank so much wine. Now, if they were to drink the wine here, they gain weight. I'm the same way. I'll uh, do wine, and the next day I could gain weight. So I w- I, it's my theory that I believe that the red wine here is so, le- so heavy with glyphosate that it's causing weight gain. And it's not about walking. I always say, oh, well, that's because they walk more in Italy. Do you know if somebody walks two days at Disney World with their family, they average 8 to 13 miles? So they can drink all the wine they want at Disney World and come back and they won't lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the walking. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wine. I know. It's, sort of- really, it's really sad that we keep blaming our population, our obesity problem on just being couch protected. I think we, you know, we can't fight this obesity. When you have something like an endocrine disruptor like glyphosate messing up your system, it is very, very hard to uh, keep the fat off. And in fact, if you don't keep it off, if you do keep it off, you'll probably get sick. I think the fat is protective. So people who, who are determined to stay skinny, even though they're eating glyphosate, they're going to get in trouble with um, yeah. damage, very severe damage. Exactly. Talk to us about brain health. I know many experts blame mercury and aluminum exposure to really causing increased cognitive decline, but could glyphosate exposure be even more of a concern? Oh, I absolutely think so. And in fact, uh, Alzheimer's is going up in in prevalence exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage. And as, as I've as I said in my book, there's many diseases that are going up dramatically. Autism is, of course, one of them. But Alzheimer's is very intriguing to me, and it is going up uh, dramatically. And also people are getting it at younger and younger ages. And I think glyphosate is the primary cause of this of this problem. And, uh, and I do talk in my book about I have a chapter on the nervous system, and I talk about Alzheimer's in that chapter. And it's quite fascinating. First of all, uh, glyphosate binds to aluminum, and it can actually... Uh, take an aluminum atom and turn it into a small molecule that's not positively charged. Aluminum has a plus three charge, which protects it from getting through the gut barrier usually. But if you wrap a couple of glyphosate molecules around it, it becomes very easy. And then glyphosate causes a leaky gut. It's very easy to get aluminum past the gut barrier. And then glyphosate can take it to the brain and get it into the brainstem nuclei and causing things like, you know, Parkinson's disease and whatnot. And, of course, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is connected to aluminum. They see that there's aluminum in those Alzheimer's plaques that form as a characteristic feature of, of Alzheimer's. The really fascinating part about it, and this is speculative, but I think it's it's really, really interesting, is the amyloid beta protein. I write about it in my book. 
amyloid beta is the protein that gathers in the plaque, you know, that's a a classic feature of Alzheimer's. And amyloid beta is is a prion-like protein. It's one of these proteins that can misfold and cause trouble. Normally, it forms an alpha helix and it goes into the um, membrane of the cell, but it can misfold into a structure called a beta sheet. And those beta sheet structures become soluble in the cytoplasm. And then when they accumulate, they glom together and form those fibrils that are characteristic of uh, Alzheimer's. Amyloid beta has a particular segment in it that is has been shown to be the piece of the protein that is the toxic element. And that segment has a motif sequence that is a GXXGXXGXXXG, three glycines in a row with uh, three wild cards in between. That's the sequence of proteins, of amino acids in that protein. That particular segment is is the place where it, the misfolding happens. That's it called. Those are called glycine zippers, and they are essential for forming the alpha helix. So if you start sticking in glyphosate in place of glycine, which is what I argue in my book is happening, you d- disrupt the zipper. It can't form the zipper. It can't form the al- alpha helix, and it becomes a beta sheet that then becomes toxic. That's what I think is going on. The glyphosate is actually substituting for glycine in that sequence, in that protein, and causing trouble. Wow. So we've definitely, uh, we've showcased the problem. What's the solution? You mentioned to go, uh, you know, USDA organic, but what about toxic binders, you know, like humic acid, fulvic acid, or zeolite? Exactly. Are they good? Can they help remove this chemical? Absolutely. I think so. Many people are marketing them as being protective against glyphosate. And of course, other, you know, toxic chemicals as well. They're pretty neat the way they, they are actually complex molecules sulfate-containing molecules as complex structures that actually are able to bind and, um, and trap things like glyphosate. I also, there are some things that break glyphosate down non-enzymatically, and these are usually oxidizing agents. So one thing I was really happy to find out, and I wrote about it in my last chapter in my book, typically when they do water treatment in water treatment plants, they use chlorine either chlorine dioxide or, or, or straight chlorine. Chlorine is a very toxic. Chlorine by itself is very toxic. But, of course, they use it in small amounts, and they use it to kill the microbes, but it also turns out it kills the glyphosate. It breaks down the glyphosate. And that's very fortunate because I think that because they're doing that, it's keeping the glyphosate levels relatively low, I'm hoping, in the water supply because it would be really terrible if we were getting lots and lots of glyphosate as we drank our water. Right. So water's not the big issue. You still recommend a good filter, though, to get some of these chemicals out? I think you should test your water for glyphosate. And if it tests positive, then you should probably get a reverse osmosis filter. And that's going to take out all the minerals as well. So then you need to put the minerals back in. So that's kind of annoying. But yes, a reverse osmosis filter will remove the glyphosate from the drinking water. Um, so you're looking for it in the water, in the food. Of course, eating certified organic is going to help a lot. It's not going to guarantee because it's everywhere. They can't keep it out of the rain. So the certified organic can sometimes come up with glyphosate contamination as well. And you can learn which foods are likely to be highly contaminated and avoid those foods. Make sure you eat those only if they're organic. And one class that's interesting that people aren't aware of is the legumes. So I like to mention this. Uh, chickpeas, garbanzo beans, you know, hummus, these are extremely high, highly contaminated with glyphosate. If they're coming from, you know, Canada or the United States where they typically spray those legumes with glyphosate right before harvest, they're coming up with extremely high numbers, higher than the levels that are in the GMO crops that are sprayed. The GMO crops that are Roundup Ready, that was, I, I didn't mention this yet, but they built, they, they created all these different GMO crops that are core crops of the processed food industry, like corn and soy and canola and sugar beets. Those are all 
genetically engineered to resist glyphosate. That was a great big breakthrough in agriculture because then they could just spray the crop and it wouldn't die. They'd kill the weeds. And of course, the glyphosate would be taken up by the crop and get integrated into the food. This is what's happening. So those those crops are all going to come up with glyphosate-contaminated foods. But the worst ones are the ones that are sprayed right before harvest, the legumes, the oats. So that's oatmeal and um, you know oatmeal cookies and oatmeal and Cheerios. Those are all going to have high levels of glyphosate. Um, and then goldfish crackers tested high. Oreo cookies, those are things that children love to eat. They're really tasty foods that are very popular snacks for children. And I think it's very worrisome. If kids are eating a lot of those, they're going to be getting lots of glyphosate exposure. So definitely certified organic. Generally, whole foods, I really uh, heartily recommend not to eat things like soy protein bars. You can look at the ingredients and you see all these chemicals in the ingredients. Don't buy it. You know, avoid the processed foods. Uh, eat things that you recognize, you know, f- whole uh, fruits and vegetables. I'm not a, a vegetarian. I don't advocate vegetarian diet. I think that the, um, cer- e- certified organic eggs are extremely healthy, uh, grass-fed beef, um, the uh, seafoods like clams and oysters and um, scallops, they are extremely nutrient-dense d- foods. Uh, fish, of course, also, but you've got to watch out for the mercury. Yeah. What, what if uh, round of, I guess, Bear now, the new owner, said, all right, we we listened. We heard we're going to cancel the number of glyphosate in the farms or at home. How long does it remain in the environment? How long until it's not an if issue? If we were to kill stop? it, yeah. That's yeah. a good question. And that's another one that has a complex answer. Monsanto had said that it disappears very quickly from the soil, that after two weeks it's gone. And that may be true under ideal conditions, but there have been many, many studies that have shown that the glyphosate lingers in the soil in certain conditions for a very long time. There was a study done, I think, in Brazil where they looked at an area where they were applying glyphosate to the crops, and they looked year by year, and they found that every year there was more glyphosate in the soil than there was the year before, which, of course, means that it's accumulating. It's not removing all of the glyphosate from the year before by the time you add the new glyphosate in the new round of crops. Um, there was a study in Canada that looking at trees that had been sprayed with glyphosate 12 years previously, and those trees still had glyphosate contamination in, in the t- tree tissue. So it goes into the tissues of every organism that's exposed, including humans. It gathers in your brain. It gathers in your liver. It, it, it accumulates in your body, I think, stuffed inside these proteins. And this is just really a horrendous thought. This is the, um, the argument that I make, and it's central to my book, that glyphosate is acting as a glycine analog. It is a glycine molecule. Glycine is an amino acid. It's the smallest amino acid. That's one of the building blocks of proteins. Glyphosate is getting inserted by mistake because it looks like glycine. It's a complete glycine molecule, except it has extra stuff stuck on its nitrogen atom. And that extra stuff is very, very important because that's what makes it behave very, very differently from glycine when it gets put into the protein. It's going to disrupt glutathione as well because glutathione is a tri... It has three amino acids and one of them is glycine. So I think glyphosate is getting into glutathione and messing it up. And there are a lot of studies that have shown that glyphosate um, reduces the glutathione levels in the liver and causes the glutathione that's there to be oxidized. Those are both really bad signs of oxidative damage, insufficient antioxidant capacity and all of that. So there's a lot of... Um, push for taking uh, N-acetylcysteine, which is a precursor to glutathione, or even taking liposomal glutathione. 
people need to boost their glutathione because it's really being disrupted by glyphosate, and it's a very, very important antioxidant, also linked to autism. Yeah, is that a supplement they can get at the, the store then? Mm-hmm. That you recommend? Yeah, anacetylcysteine. Uh, there's also acetylcysteine, methionine. Those are both um, uh, sulfur-containing amino acids, and I talk a lot about sulfur in my book. That's really my thing, even before glyphosate. I see that there's a disruption of the whole sulfur system uh, in today's world, and I think it's directly connected to glyphosate exposure. Glyphosate is an absolute train wreck for the sulfur system, and I, I explain that in my book, all the different steps in which glyphosate derails the various processes that maintain healthy sulfur in your body. Sulfur is a, an overlooked nutrient. We don't even have a, a minimum daily requirement for it. It's assumed that we get plenty. But the problem is that it doesn't um, get used correctly. It's a problem with sulfur, but also with other um, other minerals such as iron and zinc and manganese. Those are also, they become simultaneously toxic and deficient because glyphosate messes up the normal procedure by which they're managed. These really, really important micronutrients. Yeah, fantastic. Ember, time flew by. I could talk to you for another half hour. It's such great information. Like I said, I'm real passionate about this topic, so I'm just eating this, these words up. And I loved your book, and I applaud you for you know being on the forefront of getting this word out about this chemical. I'm telling you, so, so many people go glyphosate. What's that? They don't know. They, they just they don't. Not enough people know about this. So, you know, I definitely uh, highly recommend the book. It's called Toxic Legacy: How the Weed Killer Glyphosate Is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. To get your copy, go to stephaniesenef.net. And while there, be sure and check out the many resources that she has available, including informative videos and articles. And you can follow Dr. Senef on Facebook at stephaniesenef5. And on Twitter, she's at Stephanie Senef. For my daily social media posts, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman, except on Instagram, where you can find me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to your good health radio.com and radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. As I always say, sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.